This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM's Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein. David Tabret is with us, our vet today, and Danny Boss is along as well. And today, David Tabret is looking at cataracts in pets. Sometimes we see them, they've got eye problems, and we like to classify them like red eyes or blue eyes, or if they've gone blind. The number one thing we see with blue eyes that we're worried about is cataracts, but just quickly, there are some other diseases. If you look at your pet and you're worried about its eyes and their eyes are looking that bluish tinge, it could be due to glaucoma, which is a medical emergency, and what that is is where pressure builds up inside the eye, okay, the fluid pressure, and that needs to be treated straight away. But not today. We'll talk about cataracts, which is the other thing. So that's where you look at their eyes and you see, oh, it's all cloudy and blue in the middle of the eye. Like the coloured part of the eye is the iris and the black part normally in the middle is the pupil that allows the light to get in through the lens to the retina at the back. And a, a cataract is when the structure of the lens breaks down. Now, quick exercise for everyone. Hold your hands up about two inches apart, fingers pointing vertically, and that's the structure of a lens, is all the protein structures are all lined up nice and straight. But if you turn one of your hands, then all of a sudden you get a crisscross pattern. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Turn your hand, you get a crisscross pattern, and that's what happens when we get a cataract. No, Danny, the other way. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) You get a crisscross pattern. And so the light can't get through. So what happens is it actually reflects back. So you see this white reflection, and that's the cataract. Now, why does it do that? Well, there can be a number of reasons. The most common one is it's just old age, that the the, uh, lens structure is breaking down with old age. So they're called geriatric cataracts. You can also have them following trauma and they can have damage to the eye and obviously direct damage could cause that. There's also if you get an inflammation in the eye called uveitis, that's the front part of the eye, that can then extend and cause damage to the uh, lens and that causes a cataract. And the other most common reason we see is diabetics, so that there's a a change in the the glucose and the, the structure of carbohydrates and these proteins are actually held apart by carbohydrate molecules and they collapse, and so you get the cataract formation. So there's all those things. But the most common thing we get asked or people say to me is, my animal's got cataracts, and I have a look, and the dog's walking around fine, and its pupil goes you know, bigger and smaller in light and dark, as it should. And what they're actually seeing is a thing called nucleosclerosis, and that's where the lens uh, certainly changes colour, and you could think that it looks like a cataract. But it's just over time they get a bit dehydrated. So the lens has become a little bit less water content. And so it just collapses a little bit, but it doesn't have that cross uh, effect of the proteins. So nucleosclerosis is where an old age response, their eyes go a little bit blue, the lens goes blue, but they're not blind or having difficulty. So cataracts do happen, like people and dogs and cats, and also in um, reptiles commonly get them as well but um for dogs what can we do well to be if it's an inflammatory problem obviously we can treat it with medication if it's a diabetic we have to treat the diabetes okay but uh, most dogs for instance with diabetes will progress to have cataracts within six to 12 months it's fairly fast onset so if you want to avoid blindness because basically it's putting a cloud over the eye you you have to have the cataract removed And so what we do is we send you off to, uh, like my veterinary ophthalmologist friend, and uh, they can actually do surgery and take them out under a microscope with the animal anaesthetised. Obviously, they actually 
suck out the contents and remove the cataract, and then they can actually put in an artificial lens. And you can get artificial lenses made for dogs and cats. So now you go from a blind pet uh, to one that's able to see and run around and do everything normally. And interestingly, dogs, of course, don't necessarily rely on their sight as much as people do because their sense of hearing, their sense of smell is so well developed. But, you know, if if you want to move the furniture around or if they're outside in the yard, they probably need their vision. So you can now get this done and, well, it's been going for a while, obviously, but uh, it's it's there. Yeah, 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 and it can be fixed. We do be concerned, as I said, diabetes, need to manage that condition. And um, if it's trauma, need to manage the inflammation in the front of the eye. But otherwise, off you go, surgery. And that's all done locally here? They don't have to go to Sydney? No, we're still, we're still uh, having to send them to Sydney. It okay. is a, it's a specialist procedure, just as it is with people. So you wouldn't go down to your local GP and say, hey, I'm going blind, can you fix me? They'd write your referral to an ophthalmologist and same procedure for dogs and cats. We send you off to a specialist. And um, there are some ophthalmologists that visit locally into the hunter, but they don't do surgery here because they have these big, big uh, operating microscopes that are worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they've got them set up in surgery in Sydney. But, uh, you know, that's only a hop, skip and a jump. To a new RFM's Pet Chat and Danny Boss, our special guest today. Hey, we all like a massage, oh, especially we? when we get it, don't we? <laughs> We've got Jocelyn Barker, and um, she's from Top Dog Massage. Now, Jocelyn has always had an interest in alternative therapies and has trained as a remedial massage therapist, reflexology, Reiki, trigger point therapy, and myofascial release. And she's become aware that these therapies would be beneficial to animals and therefore completed courses in pet reflexology and canine myofunctional therapy through a college in Victoria. And she's started Top Dog Massage for these very purposes. Thank you for joining us on the show, Jocelyn. Hi, Danny. Thanks Hi. very much for having me on the show today. Look, can you tell us a little about, a, a bit about massage uh, therapy on pets? Well, massage is appropriate for dogs and cats of all breeds and ages, really. Um, it's interesting to note that the muscle mass of the dog, for example, makes up about 60% of the total body weight. So in saying this, the muscles help to stabilise the skeleton and they also work in conjunction with the bones, the ligaments, the tendons and the fascia. And that provides um, what I call a symphony of movement, so a movement with harmony. So massage has previously been a little-known therapy. Um, Listeners may possibly be more aware of chiropractic or acupuncture for alternative therapies for their animals, but I feel very excited for the future of massage. Um, I think it's a good, you know, part of their overall wellness plan. Well, I know it helps very much with humans, so no doubt it would do the same for, for dogs. So what types of dogs may find massage therapy beneficial and why? Well, any dog really that's involved in a performance activity will certainly gain benefits. Um, I guess the, one of the most common um, performance activities we see is uh, show dogs. Um, a lot of listeners will be aware there's many dog shows held around Newcastle, yes. Esnock, Morissette. Um, each dog breed has, um, you know, may have a, a specific sort of speciality show. Um, I, for instance, last year in November, I attended a big show called the Spring Fair in Sydney, and you were looking at 5,000 dogs wow. over three days. Yes. So that's some serious dog showing. And these people are looking for, um, you know, the judges are looking for presentation and confirmation, but, you know, also they're looking for um, a movement that's 
um, a smooth and free movement. I, I compare it to a dancer, like a ballroom dancer or yes. a ballet dancer. They're looking for a gliding movement. So if these dogs are, are tired or they have sore muscles and tight muscles, then they're not going to be able to um, perform that sort of movement. So obviously so. it would be also beneficial for uh, greyhounds. Yes, right. yes, that's right. Yes, another popular sport involving the dogs, of course, the greyhounds. So again, that dog is asked to move at full speed for a required distance and then they have to stop rather suddenly at the end of a race. Yes. So they're not unlike our elite track and field athletes. Um, you know, they're, they're elite athletes themselves and they need an ability to stretch, reach and drive um, as, as quickly as they can because that's the difference between winning and losing a race. And the same would apply for dogs that are in agility and jumping uh, uh, competitions as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, again, these dogs are... are expected to perform like an athlete so um they're they're doing like an exceptionally vigorous type of um workout jumping over jumps and going through tunnels and through weaving poles so they really need to have a high level of fitness and flexibility and some of these dogs you know are not young dogs they're um i've seen dogs six seven eight nine that are doing agility so yes it's, it's a combination of speed and precision so yes their um their flexibility is a must well, can you explain some of the reasons that owners have sought massage for their for their companion pet? What about for yeah for the pets? Yeah, yeah, the companion pet. Um, there's many and varied reasons. Um, I guess probably one of the most common ones uh, would be limping or lameness. You know, this could be an intermittent thing, or uh, it could be a chronic problem. Um, you know, usually owners have sought veterinary advice, and, and often, uh, you know, the diagnosis um, from the veterinary surgeon has been a muscle problem. So that's um, a really good one that I see a lot of. Um, they've all, always ruled out, you know, anything very serious like fractures, and sometimes it's just that the dog is sore or tight. Um, and another common one, Danny, is back pain. Um, yes. Just like people, you know, they, they can have chronic back pain, um, and this can be from a, a trauma or just a degenerative process as the dog gets older. Um, it, massage is quite a gentle therapy that can be used to just give relief from back pain, and, and that's that, used in conjunction with medication. That can happen a lot with lo uh, breeds that are, are longer in body, even like your dash hounds, I guess. Yes, yes, that's right. Yes, I, I do probably see, um, you know, more of um, dash hounds. I see beagles as well. They seem to get... A lot of back pain and, and interestingly to cats um, yes. I, and I've had a couple of veterinary surgeons um, say this to me that cats as they get older do um, develop a lot of back pain you know and cats are always as we know quite um, fluid in their movement and they're jumping up high uh, they're doing a lot of stretching and things but they do in older years develop back pain so it, it is very beneficial for back pain. I'll actually take the uh, chance here and ask David, got him on the spot. He's here, our local vet. Dave, what kind of recommendations with uh, any dogs that come into your vet, vet clinic that might have a condition or injury or disease that might be worthwhile looking at a massage? Um, Danny, I was thinking while Jocelyn was talking there about all those things, but also from the veterinary side, I guess re rehabilitation yes. following, um, say, for example, musculoskeletal conditions we're talking about if they're stiff or sore. But even uh, massage can help with um, post-fracture repair. So getting animals back to moving. Yep. And, and for instance, a lot of injuries dogs do is, a, say, a cruciate ligament in the back leg. And, you know, they can be limping for a period of time. And I think um, massage could be very beneficial in getting those dogs back on their feet quicker. The other uh, conditions we sometimes see, sure, the neurological, like you mentioned, the Dachshunds, so they get a lot of incidents of um, 
spinal cord disease where the disc can prolapse and that can be treated might require surgery but obviously then there's a period of time of getting them back uh, into normal movement yes. and the sooner that uh, Jocelyn referred to that the muscles and the tissues support the skeleton so when you've got a back problem that's that the skeleton's the problem but you want to get the muscles back supporting it. The other thing that I was thinking about too, and Jocelyn could probably come in here, is um, what about with behavioural problems where animals maybe just the massage can help with touch and getting owners to connect with their pets a lot more. And I wonder whether that the dogs become a bit more calmer around people. Are you seeing that, Jocelyn? Yes, I am. Yes, I, I have worked on a couple of dogs for anxiety issues. Um, they have um, often been referred by um, a behavioural vet for some massage therapy for that exact reason, just because the power of touch, yeah, is, is very powerful. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so I definitely, I have worked on a few dogs and I'm able to then show the owners some techniques that they can use if they think that their dog is going to be in a position, um, a precursor of a stress of any sort, then they can use these techniques as well. Well, that's some great information there and that shows massage is not just good for us humans, but fantastic for cats, dogs and the pets. Thank you very much for your time, Jocelyn. And anyone who would like some more information, www.topdogmassagetherapy.com.au or you can ring our service desk as well. They've got a phone number and their web address for Jocelyn. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Danny, for having me on the show. To a new RFM 103.7, where you're listening to Pet Chat. 49216216 is the number that will get your question through to our vet, David Tabret. And, Danny, uh, you had a question about cataracts. David, how do you know if your dog may have cataracts or the onslaught of cataracts? Well, there's a couple of things. that You, you might notice that blueness mm-hmm. and the, the uh, shadowing or the, the whiteness in the in the uh, middle of the pupil which is normally black and then they also start to do things like bumping into various things around the house now it's worse during daylight so their vision might actually be better at night than what it is during the day and the reason for that is that the eyes are detecting the sunlight coming through and hitting the retina and so what happens is the pupil the dark part is controlled by the iris and that would expand or contract so at night time the pupil becomes bigger, and so if the cataract's right in the middle, the light can actually get around right. the uh, the cataract part. Um, but during the daytime, then that pupil might be shrunk right down, and the only way the light can get in is to actually try and go through the cataract, which, of course... So basically, if you notice a different coloration of the eyes, there's something... That's a clue. A clue. A clue, something but like most that. people... As I said before, most people come in and say, oh, my dog's got cataracts, and when we have a look and say, no, it's an age-related change, right. nucleosclerosis. Some, some cataracts just start off, they certainly look like that, but uh, just that pale bluish tint. But some of them are quite spectacular in that you can actually see that there's uh, what we call suture lines. Where you, um, they're not sutures, it's just that you can see a line through the, uh, through the lens. And is there ever a time where it's like, too late we've noticed it too late and they can't be fixed well they can go on and have surgery um but what what sometimes happens we see this a little bit is where the lens when a lens becomes cataractus Mm -hmm. if you like um they actually become quite heavy and uh hard and what happens is the the lens is suspended by some fibers so it's held in the middle now if the lens is heavy it's going to tear those fibers and it can actually fall if it falls forward, it might even fall through the pupil 
into the front part of the eye, so in that front chamber. If it does that, that can be really quite nasty. Mm. And in a lot of cases, that means the eye has to be removed. And they end up with, um, it's called an anterior luxation of the lens, and they end up with the lens sitting in front of the uh, iris, the coloured part of the eye, instead of behind it. So that's probably the the biggest problem we see. If it's um, noticed and it's still in place, or it may not have moved you know, completely, then you can certainly have a referral to go and um, have it assessed for surgery. There you go. It's there a big thing. Now, yeah. the dog, the pet world around here in particular is always full of things happening. There is a lot of things happening at the moment, Jane. First of all, uh, the Hillsborough Dog Showgrounds have got a show this, this weekend, the Lake Show. Um, it's called the Lake District Canine Club that will be holding it. So anyone wanting to have a look at purebred dogs, they can go and have a look, and that's fantastic. A big thing, the third annual Hunter Animal Rescue Pets Picnic is on on the 14th of March, which is on Saturday from 10am to 4pm at Spears Point Park. Please go and support them. Go there and have a look because Hunter Animal Rescue do do a great job. Take your pet as well. Take your pet as well because there'll be lots of market stores, there'll be competitions, raffles, giveaways and a lot more other things happening. So make sure to take take your pet. Alicia is the contact, 0410644267 if anyone, anyone wants to contact her. This year, actually it was last weekend, Crufts, the world's biggest dog show, was held on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I'm happy to report that amongst 22,000 odd dogs that were shown over the four days, that's quite a big number, um, the, the show, the best in show winner is uh, Sealyham Terrier. So that's the best in show. But of certain interest to us as well is the Crufts Friends for Life 2009 winner went to a dog called Brock, which is an Australian shepherd dog. Now, you might think, well, what is the Crufts Friends for Life? I'll tell you a little bit about Brock. Brock is a lowland search and rescue dog who has changed or saved countless lives through air scenting and trialling work that can detect where a missing person was located. Just only recently, Brock found the body of government scientist Dr David Kelly and helped to bring closure to the family. So how good's that? And just shows again what dogs, our pets, can do for us humans, especially when they're trained to do this kind of work. So we congratulate Lou and Brock, who's, who, uh, uh, Lou is the owner of Brock, who really showed just how much dogs can enrich our lives and the profound difference that they can make. And Brock is a special dog, and he represents the great work that a lot of these other search and rescue dogs do. Danny, um, can I ask, I've, I've heard about Australian Shepherds yes. a lot. Yes. Yeah, they're big they're a big favourite, particularly in the United States. They are. Have you ever seen one? Yes. You have. <laughs> now that's special. I've read I, about them too. Yeah, because <laughs> I honestly um I have not had one person come in in the twenty years that I've been a vet, have not had one person come in and say he's an Australian shepherd. Really? Yeah. I think wow. that it's also it's a name that gets applied to a breed. But it's just not as common here. It gets applied overseas. There is um, controversy about where they originated uh, because a lot of the breeding is done in America for the really good uh, Australian Shepherd dogs. 
Maybe know. it's a spelling area. Uh, <laughs> it's a Austrian shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's 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 quite interesting. They're very in that popular regard. dogs. They are, mm. and um, locally at the dog shows, I do see a few at a, at a time, and they often do do quite a bit of winning too. Obviously, oh, they're, they're not sickly, are they? No, <laughs> that's right. Very healthy uh, Australian shepherds, and don't visit the emergency centre that often. But um, and just Danny, how did the Weimaraners go at Crufts? I didn't look that part oh. because you know Weimaran is a W. I only got to A. Uh, well, <laughs> well, Twenty twenty-two thousand dogs. I'm not surprised. Well, speaking about breeds of dogs, Dogs New South Wales puts out statistics every year to say which dogs are the or which breed is the most popular pure breed, and this would be looking at breeders, I imagine, and the number of dogs they have throughout Australia. And this comes from the website petnews.com.au. And uh, which one do you think is number one? Well, normally it's the German Shepherd. But he got pipped at the post <gasps> oh, last no. year. It's Labradors. Oh, yeah, of course. And Golden Retrievers aren't in the top three. They're I would not have in thought the top they, three, no. Yeah, because that's no. another popular dog. But Labs, I can understand. So what was number mm. three, Jane? Number three was the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, oh, which is yep. Danny's favourite dog. <laughs> <laughs> they helped me. They helped me. They uh, walk very well together on with, a lead. With uh, 27 of them to do the world record, didn't they? <laughs> that's Right. <laughs> and apparently Australian breeds were fairly high up. The Border Collie, uh, is that an Australian breed? Mm, no. no. But it's a breed that happens quite a bit in Australia. They came in sixth and the Australian Cattle Dog, which is an Australian breed, yes. came in 13th. The best Border Collies do come from Australia, though. They do? Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Your calls are very welcome here. 49216216 will get you through to us. And David Tabret is... Happy to talk not only about cataracts, but uh, about all sorts of other things that might afflict your pets. Um, pet birds. Yes. Cockatoos, if they're kept in cages, can make lots of noise. Yes, they can. Now, if dogs make lots of noise, can we legally do something about it? Um, legally, we Jane, can. Jane, the, uh, there are noise regulations based on... Um, I think any particular, whatever's producing the noise, um, doesn't necessarily specify dogs versus, well, not Anything many else. noisy mm-hmm. cats, are there? Mm-hmm. But um, I suppose howling, howling tomcats, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it fits into that profile from local government uh, regulations that uh, certainly birds can make a noise. And you're right, cockatoos can be extremely loud. Probably the biggest reason for that is cockatoos, in particular these large Australian parrots, are social birds in that they're often um, just paired up. They're, they're not necessarily always flock birds, but, for instance, if you have one cockatoo or one galah and you're the feeder, uh, as in caring for the bird, in actual fact what happens is you walk away and the bird starts squawking and says, I want to be with you, and at night time... The same thing. They're like, I want to be with my partner who happens to be inside in a warm, cosy bed. So the squawking is purposeful. And um, I think owners have to take the responsibility of saying, if you have a bird that's a social bird, then give it a social environment. And you'll see a lot of people will buy cages that are actually, uh, the tops open up. You can keep them inside. They're really good quality. Tops open up, and we encourage the birds to get out and participate in the family life. Birds are a bit difficult with that because with dogs, there are 
dog no bark collars, for example, that can be used uh, that have got a citronella spray. But with birds, it is a bit more difficult. There's no mm. no pet product that would actually shut them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what can you do? Ban them? Knock them off? Or say, oh. go to so the you've country? got to go the behavioural route, which David is talking I, about. I said to you before, I think we could do more about controlling unmuffled motorbikes and motor cars than we worry about cockatoos. But, and, you know, there, there is certainly... I don't have to live next door to a squawking cockatoo, although we did used to have one next door who actually swore at us all the time. But um, we don't know who taught it that. But... <laughs> You know, the part of getting back in contact with animals and um, I guess the native Australian bush is we have them in these environments. If we're going to do that, then take the responsibility and provide the social environment, just as you need to provide food, shelter, etc. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. 49216216 is the number and Baden has done that and joins us. You've got a question for David, Baden? Hello? Yeah, right. look, I'm considering getting a, um, a ferret. All right, yep. And um, I've heard a lot of um, adverse publicity about them, and uh, I'm not sure um, to go ahead with it or, or not. I'm a bit of a fan of ferrets, to be honest. <laughs> I think they're great little pets. Um, interestingly, because I went, uh, grew up in Queensland and went to university in Queensland, and they're banned up there. Um, okay. But... Uh, for various reasons, but um, they are legal pets down here. There's a couple of things to be aware of. One is they can smell. That's yeah. usually the biggest in- impediment to people owning them. So do the, the females smell less than the males? Yes, and a desex male smells a whole lot less than an entire male. In fact, entire males are almost unlivable um, because the testosterone-driven okay. hormone causes their skin to give off their pheromone. So if you uh, have them desexed, and male um, ferrets should be for that reason, then uh, you'll find that they're much more suitable to look after. I believe that if you don't get a female, if you don't mate a female, Mm -hmm. and you don't get it desexed, that they they will die? That's uh, certainly possible, and that was what I was going to say. With females, always get them desexed. And are they, they, uh, do females, do you know whether females tend to be less aggressive than males or not? Uh, no, I think it's personality and the amount of handling that they have as uh, as right. babies, as young. The female desexing thing, just to fill people in, what happens is that they're what's called induced ovulators, and right. so they actually will cycle and produce oestrogen, and they won't ovulate until they're mated. Now, what happens is they just keep producing oestrogen, and if you have lots of oestrogen in the body for a period of time, it shuts down your bone marrow production of red blood cells. Oh, right. Right. And that's why they end up, and I have seen ferrets that have ended up with very severe anemia requiring yeah. blood transfusions because of that. So okay. you get them, de- the females desex for that reason, males because of um, behaviour and the smell. Mm-hmm. And if they're, if they're acquired young and they're handled pro- appropriately, then they, they uh, behaviour-wise is fine. They can nip. Um, How do you stop the biting if they, if they are nippers? Yeah. Because I know they can be pretty vicious when they... A lot of people have tried different things. I, th- I haven't had a lot of experience in training ferrets not to be no. biters, but I think if they're comfortable being handled and they've had a lot of handling, then they're more likely to be calm around people later on. Baden, we've also, in our shop, got quite a few customers who, who have got uh, ferrets. They come in and buy the specialised ferret food, which needs to be fairly high in protein. And uh, we 
a lot of them very happy with their ferrets and just the same issues that Dave is saying there, but uh, they love them as pets. The other thing, Baden, is they do need to be vaccinated against distemper. They uh, need heartworm prevention and um, they can get fleas as well. So you need to talk to your pet shop or your veterinarian about an appropriate healthcare plan for long Well, if, if I've got a little uh, female, uh, as soon as I was able to come off mum in about four or five weeks mm-hmm. and started handling it, then I shouldn't be, shouldn't be too many major problems. I said, I, I do have a cat at home and I'm, uh, I'm hoping that they'll maybe play together and... Uh, yeah, they certainly... They, too many dramas. I, see, I have seen lots of households where, where cats and dogs and ferrets can live quite happily together, so I think you'll okay. find that that'll work well for you. So hopefully all goes well. Thanks for your call, Baden. That's Thanks. good. And uh, on to NURFM's Pet Chat. Jack joins us now. Oops, no, he seemed to have lost Jack. Okay. Um, yeah, ferrets are um, very popular. Um, I, didn't, I forgot to mention there is a Ferret Rescue Society which uh, are good to talk to as well because they actually have a lot of information and there's a website. Um, I'm just trying to think of the web address. But if you Google ferrets, uh, there is a ferret um, husbandry site that'll tell you about the feeding, which is really important. Danny mentioned about the food and uh, all the health aspects as well. I remember actually watching, I think it was on ABC, a documentary about ferrets and they even have ferret shows in America. There was like a... 400, 500 ferrets being shown and, and one got picked as best in show. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> do ferrets need to be exercised the way dogs do? Oh, they're so playful. They just they are so energetic and playful. And you do need to have a house that's ferret-friendly and they, they love to uh, tunnel, they love to get inside things like um, uh, socks and, and tubes and things like that. You do need to be careful that they don't ingest anything as well. But uh, they'll run around and and do all sorts of um, playful things. And, you know, there's ferret toys, of course. (laughs) Especially for ferrets. That's right, there is. Now, Jane, I just wanted to mention a couple of other things. Next weekend for people to put in their diary if they wanted to have a a drive up the the Hunter is the Valley, um, what's it called? The Vasey Village Country Carnival. And that's going to be on on the Sunday, the 22nd of March. And the reason why we mention that is that there will be Jack, Jack Russell races and the novice Jack Russell races as well at, at that uh, carnival. So put that date in, in your calendar and make sure to go and attend and have a look at the Jack Russell races and lots of other things happening. One more show that's about to finish, actually, is the Tales of the City show. Now, did you know in New South Wales um, it has approximately 1.2 million dogs? And which means that in two-thirds of households in the state have at least one pet. And a new exhibition, which is held at the Museum of Sydney, is Tales of the City, Sydney's Passion for Pets. And this examines the shared lives of pets and their owners through pet paraphernalia, film, activities, and they're all centred around a remarkable series of colour portraits and historical photographs sourced from private and public collections. And the exhibition really is a must-see for, for dog or for pet people in general and even has information on Governor Phillips' arrival 
with his two favourite greyhounds. They, he arrived with two uh, greyhounds. There you go. That was his favourite breed. I never knew that. Greyhounds. <laughs> so they've got information on 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 here. Yeah, his arrival with the greyhounds. So that's Tales of the City at the Museum of Sydney. It will be until twenty second of March. Starts from nine thirty a.m. to five p.m. And a website address is www.hht.net.au. Sounds good. Now, do you think they he brought the greyhounds out for racing purposes? <laughs> it seems that race courses hunting. for oh, hunting, hunting, mm. are greyhounds hunting dogs. Yes, yeah, oh, that's suppose, how they. That's, that's why how they chase they rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's all the. Um, if you go back into uh, northern Africa and Egypt, they had the pharaoh hounds, and there's the Afghan hounds and the greyhounds, and they're all the same sort of build. All built around yeah, long legged running dogs designed to run and hunt. So probably they were brought out for protection rather than um, Thursday night at the dish liquors track. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fair. Well, we're getting towards the end of 2NURFM's Pet Chat for today. Um, thanks yep. to David Tabret. I just wanted to yep. mention too, like today we talked a little bit about cataracts, so in, in, uh, I thought we might come back to the problems of the eye in two weeks' time uh, and talk about red eyes so what what does it mean if you look at your pet and you think oh their eyes have gone all red what does that mean and um the other thing is next week you might remember a couple of weeks ago we spoke to uh rosalind nickel who's the president of the victorian division of the ava regarding the task force that was set up to deal with the bushfires from the animal point of view so we hopefully we'll try and be able to talk to her again and get an update on where they're up to see what the animals are up to that sounds good thank you danny boss thank you very much thank you david i'm jane klein Pet Chat will be back next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM.